Welcome to the Sound of Black and Brown CJ here. And today we're going to be talking about housing security, essentially. Now, what does that mean? Is it a right? Is it, you know, an election item? What is it? What does it mean? Is it a study? And this has been a really important topic, not just for months, for weeks, for days, but for years now. Uh, preceding COVID-19, many people were impacted by housing insecurity. However, um, it wasn't until more recently we saw a larger movement of people, you know, recognizing the impact of housing insecurity in different ways, you know, um, joblessness and the lack of job security, amongst other things, has led here. And so now we're at this juncture. The problem is, is that despite seeing all these tent cities being torn down, despite knowing that there's all these houseless people, you know, nowhere to live, nowhere to go, and despite it being brought up in the legislative session uh, more than once in different ways, the state of Connecticut, instead of truly addressing the housing insecurity in the state, um, you know, decided to create a study because you know, allegedly they need that data, which they will allegedly use to then fine tune their approach to housing insecurity. Now, the problem that I have with this is trifold. Yes, we created a study about houselessness, but in the meantime, what do we do with that? So again, just to repeat, so today we're talking about housing security. What is that? You know, um, what is housing? Is it an election item? Is it a right? Is it a state? Now, I want to draw reference to something that happened recently right here in New Haven, Connecticut. And it's not the only place that this is happening. There was, um, you know, a protest against a local landlord, a slumlord, you know, who illegally evicted people, all of it. Because if you look into housing law in Connecticut, the landlords have the rights. The rights are skewed to the landlord, meaning that a landlord could put you in court and have you back and forth with process and you would lose your job. So now if you were struggling before, you're going to struggle even more. And not just, you know, let's say you're not working. You also have the mental stress of having to deal with going to court. Then you have to deal with the back and forth. All of this is happening. Unfortunately, despite knowing this, lawmakers this year decided instead of really digging into the different tenant rights bills that were proposed to them and picking them, you know, I think I would have been a little happier if they at least tried to make an effort to deal with housing security. Instead, they decided to create a study. Now, right here in New Haven, we have these people protesting. It's in the New Haven Independent. Again, this is not something only happening in New Haven. But it's been happening in New Haven, and it's been happening across the country, right? The question is, despite knowing this and despite how close it is to us, we still in Connecticut decided to create a study. We're ignoring, you know, the rights. I mean, do tenants really even have rights? And, you know, conveniently enough, we have one of the candidates for New Haven mayor, the current mayor. Now, all of a sudden, he's all about tenant rights and He's all about chanting down the slumlords and all this other horse shit. 
The problem I have with that is I did not see him present or I did not hear his testimony regarding any of the tenant rights bills. So starting first with looking at the law as it stands, in your perspective, Manny, do you want to just give your thoughts on that? Do you feel like tenants have rights in this state and city? Um, I think they... Firstly, I wanna I wanna comment on uh, who are we talking about when we talk about tenants. I think that's a very important thing we need to break out. Oh yes, because yes, go there. Right, because the, you know, in order for us to talk about whether or not these tenants have rights, let's look at the tenant in question. Now, if you're and again, this is just this is just pointing out things that can be seen. You know, I'm not like, you know, reaching out on a limb with what I'm about to say. These are just known things. If you're a Caucasian, you know, middle class person, you know, and and therefore, and you're in a property, you know, you're in a, you're renting or you're, you know, whatever the case is. You're therefore a tenant. Yeah, you're most likely probably not going to have as many issues. So, you have rights. You're able to exercise those rights. Those rights will be recognized. But if you're, say, an undocumented immigrant, right, who's also renting, you're technically still a tenant, right? But do you have the ability to exercise those tenant rights? You can try. Do you even have they rights, though, Manny? Let me pause you right there. I love exactly. that you brought that up. You know, you can't. You know what? You're going to have to fan Manny. He, <laughs> he came in and he said, oh, no, she didn't bring up this topic. You, you don't know me. And he's ready because he's absolutely right, right? Like, we can't just say these words. We got to look at who we're referring to. Because in truth and in fact, several people, undocumented people, have lost, continue to lose, and are losing their housing security. Why? Because they are part of that group that are most susceptible to slumlords and illegal landlord practices, right? The, you know, there's no... um. There's no sort of agreement. You know, the landlord does what they want because they know you're illegal. So, you know, they get away with that. They get away with that. They genuinely get away with that. And the question is, going back to the original no, right? Right. I think he hit it there. It's not for everybody. Keep going, Manny. Talk. Right. So, you know, you have to... The, the main fact when we talk about do tenants have rights, you have to look at who the tenant is, right? Who the tenant is, where is the property, right? Where do the, where is the tenant uh, in question located, right? Are we talking about New Haven? Are we talking about West Haven? Are we talking about Vernon, Connecticut, right? That plays its own set of factors. Um. So we talk about the tenant, we talk about where the location is, right? Then we talk about 
Well, who owns the property, right? Who's a landlord? That's its own thing, right? Um, I'm not going to name names, but there's a property-owning company here in New Haven um, who is infamous, notorious. <coughs> Four. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I got to say something. <laughs> um, hold on. Hmm. Who could that be? I wonder. Maybe their name rhymes with Andy. Just I don't know. Something. Maybe. I don't know. Or maybe something that rhymes with Tyke. Hmm. Hmm. So... You know, there's a company or companies, you know, here in New Haven who are notorious, right, for, one, exploiting their tenants, right, um, and, and getting their tenants into agreements that aren't necessarily valid. I'll put it at like that, right? Now, see, and... see, all right, I'm going to say it. <laughs> <sighs> well, if, you know, he's not wrong at all. This particular, it's a group of them. And if you do your research, find out they're like a group of relatives. This is what white people do. They support each other. So actually, it's under the same umbrella, different sections of the family and offsets of that, right? And one of the things that came out of COVID that should have been really addressed is what you're talking about right here because they agreed to different terms. Like I, I know of people who rented property from them and their way of paying rent was to do property maintenance, stuff like that, you know, and this was being done. This is being done. And also let's not forget top leadership in some of these uh, companies will say, have also been publicly recognized for doing some real bad things, including, I don't know, some little, uh, you know, pedophilia there. Yeah, you know, again, for anyone who's like questioning the, you know, validity and the credibility of certain things that might be said, all you have to do is look it up. It's public record, right? It's been publicly addressed numerous times. So, you know, um, they so you have companies, right, who just outright exploit the tenants, right? Um, and, and what I've seen, again, why I brought up the undocumented uh, community is a lot of times these companies own properties, right? will realize uh, and, and take advantage of the fact that, you know, majority of the time there is a language barrier, right? And with that goes that they will type up, you know, this entire agreement, whatever, do their fine print. As we all know, there's always fine print. But, you know, you're giving it to the tenant who, one, okay, maybe they can understand English, to you know a certain extent right and they can be able to you know function on, on a day-to-day -day routine you know but they're not completely fluent in reading or writing english right so when you put this agreement in front of them and then you verbally say okay well here's what's in this agreement whatever whatever 
you know full well that they're going to take you at your word because their verbal comprehension is much more than their reading and writing comprehension. So they're not going to sit there and challenge you and be like, give me the, you know, this agreement, let me read it over or whatever. No. So they take advantage of that. They do that. I've seen it so many times. They take advantage of the undocumented community. And, but, okay, and wait a no, minute. Let's, let's add a comma there because there's many, you, you're raising a huge point, right? Because what that right there by itself is illegal in so many different mm -hmm. ways, shapes, and forms. But how about the part that when they recognize the language barrier, they brush through everything? Oh, Sign yeah. Exactly, exactly. That's what I'm saying. That, you know, they say, oh, here's in the, the agreement, blah, blah, blah. Okay, you don't need to read over the paper. Just sign here, sign here, sign here. We're done. And, you know, welcome to the property, right? So, you know, you they take advantage of that so much, right? So then when something happens, right, on the property, there's a maintenance issue that needs to be, con you know, confronted or, or, or just any type of issue, right? And the tenant brings it up or wants to do something about it, well, then either two things happen, right? I have seen both. One, you'll have the property owner say, well, you agreed. Here's your signature. You agreed this, 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 this. You agreed to take sole liability, you know, for this, this, this. Here's your signature. You signed it. But obviously, they didn't know what they were signing. They only know they what no clue. I mean, if I get a receipt at the store and I look in my bag and I don't know what the fuck it is, I'm going to be confused. Mm -hmm. But what is worse is that a lot of these people don't even know to question it because exactly. they're so glad to have housing. Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking about people from different walks of life because in terms of documentation, right, that goes to our post-incarceration, right? You come out of jail and you're saying to yourself, I'm going to get my life straight. I did all my, my, you know, all the stuff I needed to do. I got this lined up, that lined up. You're looking for housing and then they bring up your record. And mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what's up there to some people. They just see a record. Yep. Right. And then what about the sex workers? Right. So there's a lot of disadvantaged communities who, you know, for all intents and purposes, they're stigmatized already. And then when they get to this point of the conversation, the tone, even when they go looking for the apartment. So I've seen this as well, Manny, and I don't know if you've seen this, but I've seen where people will be looking for places to live. And then they'll send in, you know, submit the inquiry because, of course, they always show you a model apartment. That doesn't mean it's yours, just so you know. And then when they call you and they get like a little background info on you, then they suggest different properties now. has you Have you seen that? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, I've absolutely seen that. Um, and again, I want to I want to echo a really great point you brought up is the major disadvantage to the undocumented community, and and not just undocumented community, but to the minority demographics too, right? Uh, is I want to change time, that word, and I want us to instead use the word marginalized because these folks are not the minority oh absolutely yeah you know you, you see what i'm saying right. so let's say marginalized yeah. and get people used to that word and we should get more used to that word too because the truth is 
a lot of these people, when we say post-incarceration, these are not acts, these are not murderers. This is not what you see on Lifetime, you know? <laughs> it's not like that. I'm talking about, you know, the fact that they'll put all the pedophiles in the hood, okay? You know all these children are going on school buses. Why are, you know what I mean? Like, there's so many things that we yeah. could talk about. But slumlords take advantage of that because guess what? We have a lot of people, and I don't know if you've seen this too, Manny, because you live over there in Fairhaven, but in the Ville, the illegal rooming houses, right? That's a whole other scheme that's happening. And what they do is they work with the transition shelters and everybody else, and they say, okay, I will take so and so and so and so. They're taking all the money, the funding from that. But don't think that these folks are living in the Hilton. Please don't think so. You know, if you have your own bathroom, you Mhm. Yeah, you're right. So, so I I like that better use uh, that word uh, uh, much better marginalized. So again, echoing one of the points you made, right? Is not just undocumented community, the mar you know just marginalized community in general. Um, to our disadvantage, a lot of the times is we do not know one how we can hold these people accountable right we are not uh necessarily educated on the rights that we have as tenants right but do we um, have rights manny because my thing is if you look into the law as it stands right now a landlord could form a case to evict you easier than you could find you know file anything to bring out their slumlord behavior and their bad tendencies. Yeah, you're you're right. You're right. And and, and again, one of <laughs> one of the many uh, systemic uh, issues that have been sustained for so many years, right? And again, just this all goes back to this is why people need to know their history. This all goes back to you know the white male land owning <laughs> individuals right who could have all these different properties and you know have other people living in them and making money off of that right but you know withhold that power that if they wanted you out of their property then, then they were going to get you out i mean there was no way to challenge them right you're in their property they want you out they're going to get you out and so, yeah, you know, down the generations, that's been fine-tuned a little bit more to make it more modern as society, you know, was coming along. But it's still very much the same concept today, right? Is if the property owner wants to get you out. I mean, to, like, there's almost no barrier in front of them. Right. Not no at all. Actual... Not at all. Yeah, and no... let's add to that, right? Put a comma on that sentence too. Not only will they work to get you out, but they'll ignore your maintenance and other requests. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh absolutely. When <laughs> this is how in fact who was I just I was literally just having this conversation uh with one of my friends uh two weeks ago right two weeks ago um one of my friends was saying oh how you know uh, 
she's she's in a, a three family house right and um her her family rents the top floor and you know uh they have they have some like structural issues there's some issues going on in the apartment and they've been raising concerns to the landlord but the landlord has been one you know ducking their calls has been avoiding them is not addressing certain things and so two, two weeks ago i said listen i said i can almost guarantee it i can almost i if i was a betting person I might even bet on it that before you know it, you're going to be getting a notice that your landlord is done with this property. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. It. Right? Yes. Because it's, it's yes. a pattern. I mean, it's the universe. Wait a minute. Sure Hold on. I'm a betting person a little bit. <laughs> I see your point and I'm going to raise you. <laughs> what about the landlords? who are not supposed to be landlords. They run illegal rooming houses, mm. right? And I'm going to raise you again. Add to that, they also have parts of their property that are condemned, inhabitable. Mm. 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 <laughs> so you're making money and you've been, you know, you've already been cited by the city, but nobody's doing things. Like, what's the purpose of LCI then? The oh, Liverpool City yeah. Initiative. Oh, boy. We got to do a whole thing on that, Manny. Mm -hmm. We got to go into that. because, And we're going to touch it now. Because the truth is, some of these people get paid off. Right? Because if they were not, then why do we have the person, Ryan, that, that company that names Ryan with Andy, <laughs> doing what they're doing and getting away with it? And they mm -hmm. have been. Yeah. And not only that, but they get funding from different entities, including yes. the state. Right, because the fact that you get housing assistance monies, that's disgusting. That is fucking disgusting. Because that means that's how you see that population. They deserve to live in houses with rats and mice and mold. And that's what what's happening because one of the biggest excuses, and I don't know if you came across this, Manny, or witnessed this, but one of the things that happened during COVID was a lot of these landlords stop making repairs on the basis of, well, we have to quarantine now, so I can't send my repair mm -hmm. people out unless it's something really, really huge. Like your house has to be burning down, right? Otherwise, you know, that, that leaky sink and shit, you got to live with that now until we figure that out. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right about that. Um, you know, and, and I want to touch on what you said about you know uh having having property you know these specific people having properties that if you know if they were to undergo inspection it's no way in the world it would be considered habitable right and and yet and yet they're still being rented out right but but here's here's now here's the point I want to make on that. Do you notice? Because I've noticed. Do you notice? Usually, who the tenants are for those type of properties. You know, Manny. 
I know it's Thursday, right? <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't care. It's daddy week, so you know. I'm telling you that. Because unless I have something in my eye, correct me, you know, tell me if you notice this too, but I happen to notice that most of them are black and brown. Mm. That's exactly. And I don't know if exactly. you saw this because, you know, my eyes kind of big. You have big eyes too. You have bug eyes. <laughs> But did you happen to notice? <laughs> That's how we'll say it. Did you did you happen to notice, right? Just me and you talking. Everybody turn around. No, Manny, did you happen to notice that most of those types of landlords are white? Hmm. Wow. I'm going to raise you. I'm going to raise you on this point. So over in Hamden, some of us are so proud of our slumlord behavior. We even run for office. Now... Previously, Lauren Garrett was married to Dan Garrett, but when she became mayor, they conveniently got divorced because he's a renowned slumlord. He's doing exactly what we're talking about, but he's not the only one. Make no mistake. We have people who pretend to be advocates and all of that, and they're doing the same friggin' thing. See, this is what people need to realize. It doesn't matter if they're a city official, state official, doesn't matter if you know, they, they own a store or not. Slumlords are slumlords, and most of them turn out to be white people. So I know some people just got offended and clutched their pearls. I, I tell you all this all the time. If you're sensitive with your fragility, you might want to tune out now because we're not going to hold it back, and we should not. And if you are you know, convinced that you're at that point where you want to change your ways or at least figure out how you can, then you might want to do what we have to do every day and bear with it and freaking learn. Right. Because the truth is, instead of all y'all's taking up all the space in the house in advocacy, in my opinion, how about you let us be more represented so that the point actually hits? How you feel? No, I mean, it's true. I, you know, the way and <laughs> you pointed this out um, <laughs> last night, right, is by nature, by nature, I, you know. I, I try to be a much more nicer person. <laughs> so I phrase things a little nicer. I try, I try to the best of my ability. Uh, Can I despite... just say to everybody, this is him 24-7. I swear to goodness. <laughs> I could say and cuss out at all sides of my mouth. And this, they're like, well, you know. Uh, and he does it. He's the person that will be so calm. <laughs> so even if you're like all worked up and you're aggravated, and you feel like your blood pressure manies that person like, well, you know. Uh, but, so see, when he starts to raise his voice like he was last night on the pod, that's how you know. So wait for it because it's coming. It's coming because this is how we're talking about, right? But but go back to your point. So you know, I, I try I try to be nice. I do. Um, and so you know how I how I will phrase it is if you cannot accept <laughs> as a as an individual right if you cannot accept what we are saying as uh things that are credible and valid right and you want to sit there and remain or try to be oblivious to what is just blatantly there in all of our faces right um, but then you want to condemn us for 
speaking about it, for holding the necessary people accountable, right? And and start throwing out the how dare yous and the audacity you guys have and this and that, whatever, right? I mean, as CJ said, I mean, you you have to take your fragility <laughs> and go somewhere with it. Because go sit down somewhere. Not, I don't give a fuck where you sit. <laughs> go sit over there. See, he nice. He's a nice one. I'm not. Go fucking <laughs> sit over there. Because you know what? We cannot unzip ourselves. Manny cannot prove to you that he's an educated young man. He always has to present as, and he has to fight that colorism mm -hmm. and the challenges that come with young leadership. Let's not ignore that. You're right. You're right. And, you know, and... That's the thing. It's like, listen, as it is, right? As it is, I put a target on my back just just by even roaming around these subjects, okay? But, you know, it's even a, a bigger target on the fact that, again, I do it in what I try to be a really nice way, right? And so, of course, you're going to have people who want to take advantage of that. Uh, and think they can, you know, <laughs> overpower, you know, me and my statements or intimidate me, whatever have you. That's uh, the main things I've come across. And yeah, there are people who look like me, there are people who are darker than me, people who are lighter than me, whatever. There's people in general. So, you know, what, what me and CJ are trying to do here, right, is... We have to talk about these things. Yeah, we both know that at the end of the day, when we're talking about them, there's going to be a million. Uh, the list is going to be endless. A lot of people who don't like us for saying these things. But I, I mean, I don't think I, I won't speak for CJ, but I'll tell you right now, I, I, could, I couldn't care less. Right? I don't care who doesn't Man, like me for not listen, talking about these things. <laughs> if I was to depend going outside, on who likes me, I won't go outside. <laughs> Not everybody has good taste, right? That's how I look at that. Because if I have to fit into your protocol, then you don't want to get to know me and like me. Not all of us are the same. We have our degrees of differences. And that's something else we also say here. You know, we're not yeah. always going to agree, right? But the bigger point is, is like in this housing fight, like look at all that we just said. And yet in this past legislative session, after two plus years of housing, increased housing insecurity, right? And we saw it coming because as soon as COVID hit, within months saw the beginning of the housing crisis, right? Now, we already had a housing crisis back in 2008 with the bad loans, but this is a different kind. This is where people can't afford anything because they can't work. They can't do this. They, their cost of living went up, Right. I say all of that to say this was something that the state of Connecticut saw coming, yet it chose to look at the tenants' rights bills, ignore them completely, and turn housing into a study. How the fuck do you feel about that, man? Listen, it, it, uh, like, honestly, like I said last night, these people are in these positions, right? <laughs> are supposed to be doing the right things and things we need for them to do. They turn around, they do absolutely like no one asks you to do that. What in the world are you doing? Right. It just, it mind boggles me. It really does. And it, 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 oh, it gets me so mad. It's one thing that definitely gets me mad is 
people who are elected to be in positions to do a certain job and you don't do it that i don't think there's a there's something more no there's something in this world that gets me more mad i'm trying to think about it i don't think there is i think that's the one thing that will always get me to like a million and like 3.5 seconds it it genuinely gets me so mad but i want i want to i want to read a couple statistics um in regards to housing in Connecticut. <laughs> so, this is from the National Low Income Housing Coalition. Right. And so I want to read this is specific to Connecticut. Right. These, these statistics. <clears throat> there was a shortage. Right. Uh, of rental homes uh, that are affordable and available for what's classified as extremely low income renters right um and now extremely low income renters are people who make anywhere from zero to you know thirty thousand dollars a year right so those eighty nine thousand and thirteen homes rental homes that left you know that that criteria of um be you know those people right the extremely low income renters uh they couldn't rent eighty nine thousand and thirteen homes right because it's almost ninety thousand right we'll just round this is mine almost ninety thousand give or take homes left the housing market because either those properties their rents were increased or there was some type of eligibility criteria that were added that disqualified a lot of these renters right but over ninety thousand homes taken off the market that were no longer available for individuals that were making less than thirty thousand dollars a year right but now right so maximum income for a four-person home Right, that fits the extremely low income uh, renter category. Right, max income has been thirty two thousand one hundred thirty dollars. Okay, keep that number in mind. The annual household income needed to afford a two bedroom rental home, right, in Connecticut. Is sixty six thousand four hundred twelve dollars. You know, wait, hold up, hold Stop. up, hold up. Let's take a minute and fan. So, you basically saying you have to make twice that amount to afford to live there in a two bedroom home. In a that, two bedroom, two and we're not talking about like a large square footage, right? This is no. not like a mansion. No. Two bedroom home. And mind you, that $32,130, right? That's an income that has been calculated for a household that has four working individuals. $32,000. See, Manny, to this point, this is why our representation matters, right? Because look at what we're talking about. We're talking about slumlords taking advantage of lower marginalized people right lower income marginalized people mm -hmm. 
And add to that, we have these crazy ass, you know, income guidelines to get access to things. Who the fuck do you think is most affected by that? It's the black and brown people. Mm-hmm. You know, people forget like all, you know, I got really upset with the media coverage and we spoke about this both on and offline, you and I, about the media coverage for that teardown of the 10th city over there by El Grasso Boulevard in here in New Haven. And I, I was upset because you saw all those white people crying and devastated, but you didn't get to see the fact that they are working families who live in tents, working people. Don't get confused. Not everyone who lives in a tent city is someone who has a habit or, or extreme to the level you might think. Not everyone is criminal or criminalized. And even if they were, they're still houseless. They're still human beings, right? And the fact of the matter is we have all these agencies receiving funding to assist probably, if not all, who lived in those conditions, but they couldn't even get access to that. Then you look back at the fact that when you look at the housing advocacy as a whole, and this is why, Manny, what you're saying is critical, because this is why we need the Mannies, the black and brown people to be properly represented. Like I'm looking at the article right now regarding this recent protest against ocean, whatever it is, ocean real estate, whatever it is, it's in the independent. And, you know, all the pictures, all you're seeing is white people. So basically what you're telling me is only white people get evicted then. Only white people face these issues because that's what you see in the press. And by no means, don't think this is like a, a, you know, a jab at the independent. Because truth and in fact, this is not the only place you see that. You see it on WTNH. You see it on Fox News, right? You see it, uh, of course, our Republican reporter there, Megan Friedman, on the register. You see it like that. You don't see, do you feel like the houselessness, the houseless security, the housing insecurity faced by black and brown people, do you feel that gets sufficient media coverage? And also, do you feel like we get to really represent ourselves in advocacy? No. No, absolutely. I don't have to think about it. See how quick I answer. <laughs> you don't need to think about it because if you're if you're paying attention, right, there shouldn't be any hesitation when answering a question like that. If you're paying attention, if you <laughs> if you're staying up to date, if you're involved in things, you know that you need to be involved in, right? You're part of part of conversation. You're hearing the conversations around these things. There shouldn't be any thought into the fact that it's blatant, it's clear, it's evident, right in front of your face, however you want to put it. That, yeah, one, there's definitely not enough coverage, there's not enough awareness as to the actual numbers, the actual statistics, the actual facts of housing insecurity here in Connecticut. There's not, like, you have to actually, you have to pretty much do like a deep dive search in order to actually get some real information on it. And that doesn't be like that, right? So yeah, there's definitely not enough coverage. And then two, right, you know you know how hard it is for the marginalized community as tenants to be able to advocate for themselves? It, they, they have to go through a million oh, and one hurdles. Oh, you took hurdle. it out of my mouth. Because let's not, oh, no, actually, fuck that. Let's get started. How about the part 
where you come in and you're talking about your diaspora, like what's going on with your landlord. They get you engaged to support them, but they don't try to train you. Again, here we go back to this idea that we need white people to lead the way. Listen, I know they look like light bulbs, but that's not what that means. <laughs> you know, if they're a real comrade and ally, they'll they'll help you. They'll support you. They'll empower you. They won't sit there and take up all the space. That's just how I feel about that. How do you feel, man? No, you're right. It's like, again, again, this is this is what I'm saying. We put these people into these positions to do what's needed to be done, right? We don't put you there for you to gatekeep the position, for you to take all the power, to use the power to your advantage or for your selfish reasons, right? We'll put you in the, in the position to do what needs to be done, but then also in doing what needs to be done, to train other people to eventually take your position, right? Or to be able, one, number one lesson, number one lesson, teach people how to be able to do these very same things for themselves, not needing another person. Exactly, right? Succession plan. You're in this position. Yeah, okay, we put you in there, blah, blah. Or sometimes, right, people don't even have positions. They're just whatever. They're leaders in the field or or they have a just their job or whatever the case is, right? But the point is, is you have all this knowledge, you know how they do these things, but what are you doing to help others, right? Because you can't, as, as a person, right, you can't be in, a, in 45 different places at once, helping 45 different people at the same time. So what do you do? You teach people, or give them the resources, connect them with the right people so that they themselves can carry out what they need to get done, right? You help them and you, you, you just, you know, give them that, that nudge they need, you know, to be able to do it by themselves. But no, 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 no. We don't, we don't see that here. We don't maybe we people see gatekeeping. Need, we need, maybe people need glasses because... I don't understand how you could not see the gatekeeping and the gaslighting. As he's saying, nobody said that your resource knowledge is invaluable. What we're saying is make it valuable to the point that you teach us too. Because inherently, if you don't do that, you're recreating the same fucking problem that you're claiming to want to fix. What did I just say? What I mean is, just like we started talking about these slumlords who... You know, they don't necessarily abide by the rules and add to that, they don't give a fuck about if you know your terms and conditions. When you sit there and you take up all the space, but you feel like yelling out things like Black Lives Matter, no justice, no peace, makes you equitable to us. That's not true. That is not true. You would never know our experience. And that's something people need to really respect lived experience. And that counts a lot in this fight. And I feel like if we had done and do a better job of having that type of presentation, we would actually see a change in housing and the different facets. Because here's the thing, and correct me if I'm wrong, Manny, a slumlord is not only a blight to the tenants, but also to the people around them. Case in point, as I mentioned previously, I know of a case where someone is running an illegal rooming house, half their fucking house is condemned. But on top of that, because of what led to that part of the house being condemned, there's other ways and other shit, which brings up the whole question of what the fuck is LCI and who are they looking at? But 
people around them, one was being uh, a legal landlord, right? She had to sell her house because she couldn't get people to rent the place because they lived next to a blighted house, the smell. What about all these vacant homes, right? I thought the list, you know, there was a list from the city. Like you keep bringing up a real big point here with elected officials because here we have the mayor of New Haven conveniently posing as if he cares about tenants' rights. But when did you start caring is what I want to know. That's the thing. And again, another thing, part of the things that raise my blood pressure is when these elected officials only start to care about the problems that they should have already been caring about when it's convenient for them. When it's convenient for them to care about. Then you start seeing them start talking about it, and they're on the news about it. Then it's, oh, so what I'm going to do in my next term, and this, and that, or whatever. No, shut up. Honestly, just, just shut up, because you're lying. It's not, you know, you don't really care about it, because if you did care about it, then it'd be convenient for you to talk about and address and put action all the time, before election year, before election time, before the news is, you know, in your face about it. Or people are protesting outside, you know, talking about it. No, only then is it convenient for you. So, no, shut up. I don't care what you say. <laughs> You're lying. It's not convenient for you at all. But one thing I, I want to uh, uh, reference it to is that the title you have on this uh, uh, podcast, right? Is it a right, a study, or an election ticket item? That, when I saw your title, I was like, that she perfect, literally perfect, because that's exactly what it is. It's convenient to be an election ticket item. And that's what we see with local officials, state officials, and federal, right, on the national level. If they start to bring up the problems, right, that we want to talk about, that we actually need to be addressed, and they say, well, and my campaign is focused on this. And when I get into office, I'll focus on this and this and this. Because what is it? It's an election ticket item. It's how you get votes. It's how you get people to support you. It's how you secure the victory. And then when you're in the position, it's actually, it's nothing. You don't care about it. You don't do anything towards it. Or if you do, very little. To where no one could really notice. So, yeah. Literally this. This, this, this right here actually it gives me so so much just infuriation because why why like what is wrong with you <laughs> that you take something like housing security a, a a basic human necessity housing right a roof over someone's head and you bargain with it and you use it as an election ticket item in order to gain the support and the victory. I mean, there's something like actually wrong with you as a human being. There's no, something wrong. No, with Manny, you. let me tell you something. I, I have to correct you here. That's white supremacy in full force. That's privilege. That's what privilege looks like because what you're saying is what happens to the marginalized, but you're also speaking on behalf and as part of that community. 
That's the big difference, right? In his eyes, right, his appeal is to the white saviors, the liberals, the ones who see him as the one, the mighty Superman, who's going to do it all. And to sequester that, he gets the right white ones to buy into it. And they do, and they will, right? What we need to do as black and brown people, because I keep telling you all, they get scared when we come together and organize. I'm telling you that. There's a reason why they prefer, even when they say they're about your cause, they want to lead it because they know if you and I start talking to each other and we start doing it, we'll take over. What did I say about privilege? What did it say about being a white ally? That means you have to face your privilege. You have to be willing to give up your power and your place. All right? A lot of these white people, especially in Connecticut, they don't want to do that. They don't give a fuck. Imagine we just came out of two years of quarantine. People living in made-up tents and shit. And these motherfuckers are still sitting here saying, nah, fuck that. We'll only care about it when it's necessary. Because that's what he's doing. And he's not the only one. Ah, uh-uh. He's not the only one. Nope. You know, because I was I was mad at the state of Connecticut legislation. Because I felt like, you know, the year before, there were housing. And this is the game that they play in Hartford. So you have to write that bill that appeals. And then you have to, again, go through the process of getting it to the legislator so that they could pay attention. That's not as easy as it sounds. And especially when you have bigger parties taking up all the space. Like I'm looking at these pictures in the Independent, and I'm not seeing people like you and me being represented because, again, this is another gimmick. Look at who's there. These are unions who are backing him. So, of course, they're going to be there. Of course, they have to be there. Where are we, Germany? We're the election item, right? And the way, how do we stop that? We have to confront it, face it, and get it the fuck out. Get the fuck out. Remove that shit like a Band-Aid, man. Why the fuck didn't he do all of that money before? You waited till now, and you made sure you combed your hair and pressed your shirt so they get the good pictures, too. I know you're going to pretend just like the one that we were talking about yesterday with him and the Yale police. And now he's calling out the Yale police like it is an election item. Read between the fucking lies. Read between the lies. Right? Now, the other thing that I touched on, and I'll hear your thoughts on, is the advocacy piece. Because throughout all of this, we have not been well represented, meaning the houseless and housing insecure black and brown people. You see all these white people showing up and they're so mad about it, but where are we in that picture, Manny? Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, I think there's... I think there's a few factors that play into that, right? It's the fact that unfortunately people who look like me and you um, you know, again, and this is what I'll speak from my experience of having these conversations as to, um, you know, black and brown people uh, being advocates and, and going out there and speaking and standing up and, you know, just, just being being the ones to advocate for the problems that, you know, affect us. Um, so in my conversations and my experiences, I often... Too many times here, um, you know, that one, well, that's just not the right place for me. 
And, and by place, they're talking about, you know, uh, in public or publicly speaking or, or publicly, you know, just doing those acts of advocacy. Um, or I hear, no, I'll leave that to people who know more than me. Um, or I hear, you know, uh, why does it actually matter? Like, if, if I'm going out there and speaking, why does it matter and will it actually matter? So you have this overall sentiment coming from the black and brown community. At least, again, this, and I'm not being general. I'm not going to, like, make it a really overall thing because, you know, I think that's a mistake that's often too often made. So in my experiences, right, in the years that I've been trying to, you know, get people to be their own advocates, um, these are the symptoms that come across uh, of, you know, of just questioning whether or not it's going to be effective, you know, them being advocates for themselves, to uh, not knowing how to advocate, but on top of not knowing, not wanting to know, right? Not wanting to learn how to be advocates for themselves. Um, or two, right? Or uh, Well, before I, I mean, not two, three. Before I move on to three, let me actually expound a little bit on the point I just made, right? Not wanting to learn to be advocates coming, but that comes from a place of being uh, complacent, right? Complacent. And, and kind of accepting the limitations and the boundaries that have been placed on us, right? And just saying, well, this is just how things are. And so why am I even going to try and change it, right? So because of that, I don't want to learn, right? I don't want to learn how to try and change it because why would I, right? So that complacency and that just being compliant, um, and those restrictions and limitations placed on us. And then three, right, um, the whole leave it to someone who knows more than me, right? Leave it to someone who actually belongs. And again, nine times out of ten, they're talking about people of lighter skin, right? People who have degrees and you know, who have titles and certifications or whatever, right? A lot of times they're, they mean those people. But, you know, again, what I've always tried to emphasize is that's exactly what's wrong, right? That's exactly why things are the way they are. Is because us, as black and brown people, for so long, we, we continue to say, well, it's not our place, it's not our job, we can't change it. We don't know how. And on top of we don't know how, we don't want to learn, right? Or, you know, those are positions and those are things and actions, uh, you know, that other people do. And we already know what other people is. Again, title, certifications, fair skin, right? That, credi- uh, that criteria. So... And I try to emphasize that, right, is, well, how do you expect for things to change if we keep going through this cycle of not being advocates for ourselves, right? And and doing, like I mentioned, I mean, way earlier 
and a couple, you know, many episodes ago, right? And we have to realize that the limitations, the restrictions, the boundaries, that complacency that we have, and simply accepting things as the way they are, and saying that that's the way things will always be, right? And not realizing that all of that, that entire narrative, was strategically placed on us as a people. And if you can't realize that first, right, then yeah, any other step you do, you're going to feel like it's not for you, right? It's not something you can do. It is for other people because you haven't yet accepted the fact that that is how we were made to think. That is how we were conditioned to think about ourselves, right? And to and, and think about the circumstances that we, we are in, right? Again, this, this, this is the tactics that were created, that were cultivated, that were sustained through slavery, right? And here we are, and we are still, we are still allowing ourselves to be complacent in this quote-unquote comfort zone that has been placed around us, right? And we don't support we each get, other. Uh, Throw that in there. We don't support it, each it, other. It, right, because, because, right, we start seeing people who look like us, right? We start seeing each other, each, you know, other black and brown community members. We see them start going against the status quo, right? Start doing the the actions that really need to be taken, right? Stepping outside the comfort zone, getting into good trouble, you know, holding people accountable, right? Just go again, going against the grain. Then it's, well, what's wrong with you? Why would you do that? You know, you're not supposed to do that. You know, that, that's for other people. That's none of your business. Like all those things start coming out. Right, and again, again, you're oblivious to the fact that that is exactly how you were conditioned to respond to other people who look like you, right? Who are in your community, other black and brown people. If they started being rebellious, if they started going against the grain, if they started to advocate for themselves right, then you were supposed to be the one to pretty much, you know, pretty much be that first line of defense and, and getting them to come back down and to being compliant and complacent, right? And say, well, no, no, what, what's, what's wrong with you? Like, you're crazy. What, why would you do that? You know, like, are you, you realize how much trouble you're going to get in? Hello, slavery. <laughs> Right, so it's this it's this conditioning that is generational, right? And I, I explain that to people, and I try to, you know, really lay out the narrative that's been placed and how it's being sustained and all those things that come with it, and then say that you being an advocate for yourself, which is something that I mean, again, it, it should just be by nature. Right, you need to stand up for yourself, and you're scared or you're 
hesitant or you're reluctant or you just, I mean, disregard that notion completely, right? Because of these factors. So, you know, the black and brown community, their needs, their needs, needs, needs to be much more advocacy from us. Because if we can't even start that, right, if we can't even start being advocates for ourselves, how do we expect to have leaders that look like us, right? How can we expect to have elected officials look like us and, and, and psychiatrists and top leading doctors and top leading researchers and, you know, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and, you know, like, black and brown people start getting into the many positions and facets of life, right, that have been so predominantly white, you know, and Caucasian, right, or just fair-skinned in general, right? We want to be able to see ourselves in those positions, but we can't even advocate for ourselves on a, on a you know, our own housing, right, on a rental property. So, if we can't learn how to advocate for ourselves, then everything else that follows that, it's like you have no room to complain. You can't complain that the governor doesn't look like you or the president doesn't look like you or your senators don't look like you or, you know, the elected officials that are in those positions are not necessarily doing what's best for, you know, the black and brown community or whatever because... Jeez, I mean, we haven't even gotten to the point where we're able to, you know, get get enough of us who actually have the confidence and the belief in ourselves, right? And and most importantly, on top of that, the ability to support each other, right, without trying to tear each other down and discredit each other, right? We can't even get that down. Then how do we expect? for us as a people to be able to move up the ladder. I mean, come on now. We're trying to move up the ladder. And again, black and brown people, if one person starts to try and move the ladder, you have like 50 other of us who's trying to knock him down. Because how dare he? <laughs> how dare he try and seek more for himself? How dare he? trying to go against the grain or go into a position, you know, or, or or a career field that's predominantly white, right? Like, he's absolutely insane. We need to stop him from doing that. So it's like, yeah, I wish, I wish there was a greater number of black and brown people who could advocate for themselves, right, and support other black and brown advocates, but there simply isn't. And again, it's because of that mentality. But I want to jump in there and say, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm going to add to that. I think part of the problem is that we don't have, we have not been educating our people enough mm -mm. on how to organize themselves. Because the fact of the matter is people seem to think they have to go to the church or to a nonprofit to organize their community. And that's not how that goes, right? We're talking about a different kind of organizing, 
right? We should be seeing more and more communities coming together. Fuck the town meeting. Fuck that. Mm-hmm. Fuck the, the, the fucking um, board, whatever, the older ward, whatever meeting they call it here in New Haven. I'm talking about start talking to your neighbors. Say good morning. Start talking about start talking about these things, right? Get to know the neighbors going through the same shit. Start looking out for each other. I mean, of course, there's boundaries to everything, right? But what you're saying is completely valid. We can't complain about it and not organize against it. That's just the bottom line. And if you haven't noticed, pay attention because the other thing is too, this is not exclusive to Connecticut. Let me tell you, there are other states where we are seeing the same pattern. It's the same mm-hmm. thing that happened with the Black Lives Matter movement. All these black people and brown people came out against the police brutality. We're not saying white people are getting shot up. And we didn't say that white people don't experience the brutality. But what we are saying is they started showing up on our scenes and at our protests. And I get it that you care, but care enough to know that you have privilege, place, and power. So don't come and take it from me in my space. You know what I'm saying, Manny? Absolutely. Like right now in New Haven, in Connecticut, we should be seeing, you know, protests. Take it to the friggin' streets, man. Talk to your neighbors and say, we're going to do a walk onto the main street just like that. That's how you draw attention. What we need to do better at is really educating people on what organizing could look like. Because guess what? All right. You don't want to walk out and, and create a protest like that. Well, then how about you organize writing letters and signing petitions? There's other ways to activate. And that's the part that's missing. And then the other part that you keep raising, and I'm glad that you're bringing it up, is we have to fucking talk about it. Mm-hmm. You cannot solve it if you keep brushing it under the rug. That's not how that works, right? Because that does not befit the bigger picture. Right now, if you put in a Google search and you put in for houselessness or homelessness in Connecticut, you're going to see most of the articles and the presentation and who you see in the pictures are white. You don't see us. Now, when, when you're looking at crime, then you see us. That's not fair. We're not just criminals. The narrative matters. And this is the problem with the white media, right? Now you have this person who didn't give a flying fuck about housing security before, right? Could not care about it. Ignored all the outcries from all the tenants who were victims of slumlords and stuff. And now you standing there conveniently right within eye shot of the photographer, mind you, because he got good pictures to show how much you support this movement against this bad landlord. And add to that, that the people who came out to represent the alleged community, right? Maybe at this property, it was made white.
Can you hear me? Can you hear me now, Manny? There we go. There we go. So I don't know where I cut off at, so I'll just say the shit all over again. <laughs> right, right here, right now, what we're talking about is the fact that, you know, we are not represented. We are not. And, you know, we could rant and rave, but like you said repeatedly, this right here, housing, was used as an election tool. What's worse is we have so many groups that are not representing us. Where are we in these pictures, Manny? Right. Where are we? Like I was saying before, if that came through, you know, what should be happening is neighbors need to meet neighbors. You know, report mm -hmm. these slumlords. If the city isn't paying attention, organize against them. But we need to know how to activate people because guess what? Like I was saying before, that legislative process up in Hartford, they gatekeep the fuck out of that. They make sure people don't know how to participate. They make the whole the whole process. There's language access barriers and shit like that. But the same thing happens in the city, right? You think that they have all these meetings downtown where the parking is bullshit for, for just because they're bored? If these people really cared, if the mayor cared about the housing in New Haven, Connecticut so much, then why didn't I see you having you know, at least attempting to involve the community because really and truly, even if you start hosting meetings about housing at the different high schools and only three people show the fuck up, you're the fucking mayor. This is part of your job. That's part of the problem. That's part of the problem, right? Because now this mayor is using protesting against you and that's not how that should go. How you feel about No, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's, um, you know, what we need to be able to do as a people, as a community, right, is, again, in, in an effort of being able to advocate for ourselves, right, is learning and being comfortable, right? Being comfortable with being able to organize ourselves and interact with each other through really really simple basic means you know we don't be we don't need May to, I be add having, to that manny because uh, yeah, and ahead. i think this is something that you would possibly agree with instead of fucking talking about what shoes to buy and where this party's happening and mm. all this other listen I'm not saying that those things don't matter. Talk about getting your hair done. But could we have conversations about these basic needs? And could we stop saying that when people bring it up that, oh, I don't like all that politics. Because that's the weapon being used against you. That is a weapon being used against yes. you. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, that was so beautifully put. Because, yeah, that's something I've said so often. And actually, and actually, and be more specific, I've said it to my own peer group. When I was teaching classes at Hill House and I was teaching the civics class, right? And again, they would actually, why civics matter? You know, this is always in the beginning of the year. Um, they would actually, well, why do I need to pay attention to civics? Like, what? why do I even need this class? Why? 
you know, why are you trying to get me to pay attention? All, I mean, you know, you know how teenagers are, right? So, I, and they would ask all these questions, whatever, whatever. And then, again, I'd go and I'd say, well, you love to talk about, you know, parties and what's the newest the shoes that come out and clothes and jewelry and TikTok and Instagram and all these different things, right? Because at the end of this day, when you're done with the party, when you buy the new shoes, when you make that post, when you like, when you download the app, when you all these things that you just do on a whim or whatever, right? When all that's said and done, guess what? At the end of the day, the most basic fact I can present to you right now is politics, that very same thing you don't want to talk about and you don't want to pay attention to, is literally, I don't mean figuratively, this is a metaphor, it is literally running your entire life and will run your entire life till you end up back in the grave. <laughs> you know, till you, no, you return to us. That's a big fact, right? Because it's like, you know, I feel like in your time right now, and, you know, I'm watching it unfold, and for, to give perspective, people, Manny's old enough to be my child. He's trying to figure out how old I am. Like I said, look at that picture of the Last <laughs> Supper, back left, right? Um, so, <laughs> you know, but the point is, is that I feel like in your age group in particular, you know, at seven, maybe let's add 10 years to that. So 28 between let's say 15 to 28 so mid-teens to early late 20s right that particular generation the impact on covid we don't seem to give a fuck about the, the impact they had right how it impacted them let me say that better but more so in that particular age group we see more of you all actually being more curious about you know justice and rights and access and and you know advocacy in general but it's not helpful when you know you have to face off with us the older ones we're so stuck in our ways right we know the gatekeeping is happening we know the gaslighting is happening but we don't talk about it but we just keep re problem what i would like to see here in connecticut this is my my ask I want to see more black and brown people representing these basic need courses because without us in it, nothing about us without us, period, right? We should not have to rely on white people representing our causes. No offense to y'all. And I know some of y'all are lawyers and you mean well, but a lawyer is not an organizer. Let me just say that again for the people in the back. A lawyer is not an organizer. That's number one. You can be an advocate, but you can't, you know, don't get confused here. The other part of it is that, Manny, you touched on this, is that self-advocacy. Get to know what that is and know what your boundaries are. Not everybody likes doing calls to action. Not everybody likes writing FOIA requests or letters or op-eds. But I guarantee you there's something in there that you could actually do. And guess what? Like he also just said, you know, talking about like all these other things yes it sounds nice and nobody said not to have a good time and not to enjoy nice things get real here if this is what the problem looks like at the age you're at now what the fuck you think it's gonna look like when you're my age let's be real 
So I also think in your generation, I would like to actually challenge more of you all to have these conversations, right? Because you're the ones experiencing the brunt of what we went through. You're the ones that most likely grew up in the single parent household, most likely had something happening there that affected your household, period, poverty, working family, you know, all of that, right? You are the outcome of that. There's that trauma, plus the trauma of COVID-19 and being in quarantine, plus life after COVID. That's a lot. That is a lot. So going back to the question at hand, Manny, what does housing mean? Because this is what we're talking about. Even though we spoke mostly about New Haven, Connecticut, this is actually something that applies across the nation, right? Look at what's going on in Florida. Look at what's happening at the border, right? This is something that's happening across the friggin' nation. We need to see the representation. They're, they're showing pictures of the border and they're making it seem as if all these people are going to come and take all the housing that's available. Because all you see is the people walking through the border. You don't get to see what they have to deal with when they cross that fucking border. Let's, let's not get confused here, right? You spoke on that, Manny, dealing with a slumlord, right? That's one of the main things. Mm-hmm. Imagine you went through all of that, risk your life and livelihood and everything else, and you came to big, big America and people treating you like it. Come on, man. Mm-hmm. Come on. So, you know, what is housing? Is you know, is it a right money? Is it a study? Is it an election ticket item? I kind of feel like here in Connecticut, I don't see us having housing rights. Right. I feel like the legislation took an easy way out by creating a study because I don't see why that data could not have come from shelters or places that assist people with resources. What the fuck are you studying? Each other? Or are you really studying the cost of these bills? Because that's what it sounds like to me. People need to get real with it. Sometimes these studies and shit is a buffer. Look what they did with racism. They created a study. What did that change? Nada. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're so right. You know what I'm saying? So how do you feel about that? Is it a right, a study, or an election ticket item, Manny? How do you feel about that? And people, let me tell you something. Keep in mind the age group that's talking here. That's really critical because this is who's coming next. And don't get offended by it. Learn from it and figure out what the fuck could we not only do better, but how can we help them? Yeah. In fact, <clears throat> I had pulled up this thing I, I wanted to quickly read as you were talking about, you know, my age group. This was something I read um, two or three days ago, and I, and I saved it because it was, it was so, so insightful, it was so good. It's a it's a, a poem of sort. It's called "Old to Millennials and Gen Z." So the generation has a rendezvous with destiny," said President Franklin Roosevelt, referring to the generation that evolved from the Great Depression of the 1930s into World War II, which Tom Brokaw referred to as the greatest generation. The millennials, the Gen Z, also have a rendezvous with destiny. They will inherit a bankrupt country along with the bankrupt world. 
Will they become the greatest generation 2.0? Our children are our elders in universe time, said Buckminster Fuller, and it can be difficult for my generation to accept this. The older generation typically wishes that the newer generation would quote-unquote do it their way. When I was young, parents would ask that we kids write to them, while we kids preferred to use the telephone. Today, my generation can't understand why Gen Zs can't pick up the phone. Yet there are so many similarities between the greatest generation and, the, and Gen Z. In the 30s, incomes were very low and unemployment was 25%. For Gen Z, incomes are very low and underemployment by some accounts, approaches 25%. The greatest generation faced a world at war and survival of our society was in question. They accepted their rendezvous with a genuine sense of duty. They accepted many burdens gracefully. Gen Z now faces a world at war of a different setting. They accept an economy that is on a course of bankruptcy, not only in the United States, but worldwide. They accept the sickness of school loans that were designed to perpetuate poverty. They accept a medical insurance system that charges young people much higher rates to the benefit of the older generation. They accept the call of duty created by global warming, along with a sickened tax structure that perpetuates greed. Yet so many of our youth are excited to be a part of life. Do they know something that we older folks missed? I often hear, you're the generation that created this mess. Now you're gonna tell us how we should fix it? And I've also heard, don't worry, we'll deal with it. Politely telling us to get out of the way. They are a polite and kind generation. At times, maybe too kind and polite. Yet, they are absent of resentment, while the mature portion of our society resents almost everything. So, they do hear the call of duty, their rendezvous with destiny. My bet is that they will become the greatest generation 2.0. That is powerful. I thought that... That That's was powerful. So I agree with you a hundred percent. You know, and I can't say it enough because you see, again, yes, my generation had its share of trauma, but I don't want to negate the fact that you all had one that was completely unexpected and it was nationwide. And I feel like while we talk about our trauma and our generation, I don't know if we really pay enough respect to yours, right? And right now we're seeing this housing insecurity diaspora unfold. And there's so many layers to this because you think about the folks, you know, ones who's watching mom and dad or whoever's in the house that's the head of household struggle to pay that mortgage, pay that rent. You're eating the same thing for the last five days and you're trying to be tolerant and you're trying to be nice about it, but you also don't know what to do. Right, because we're so busy hustling and trying to survive. I don't know if people knew this, but it's very, very expensive to be poor in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. It's expensive, you know, and your generation watch us try to deal with that. 
And that does not mean that it's not with its share of setbacks, letdowns, and everything else. And I, I worry because, again, this is why if we don't address this representation and if we don't show out, meaning black and brown people, in this upcoming elections and also in that legislative process, what you need to do is start having these conversations with the people around you. Even if they don't want to hear about it, share the information. Right. Say, hey, I'm participating in this process here. Here's this information. Let them giggle and laugh and feel weird and then come back to you later. But get that information out there. Right. Start talking to people about voting and what it means. No, you don't have to vote for who the union supports. You could actually support who you believe in. Hold mm -hmm. these people accountable, not just when they run for office, but after the fact. Yes. Right? After the fact. Just because you're in office doesn't mean that your accountability stops there. Actually continue and be even more. Mm -hmm. Right? Just like we're uncomfortable with being poor, motherfucker, get uncomfortable with being held accountable. If I go to work and I don't perform to my expected standard, I'll be held accountable. If Manny goes outside and he doesn't do things to expectation, he's held accountable. Yep. And as he said before, when he runs for office and he's in office, he expects to be held accountable. Absolutely. See that? That's different. That's different. So before we sign off on this, Manny, any final? Yeah. Um, it's right. Is housing a right, a study, or election ticket item? I say elect, uh, housing should have always been a right. It should always be a right. But unfortunately, in today's society, it is often, too often, an election ticket item, too often uh, a study. It is rarely, rarely, and pretty much kind of just has never been a right um but i say to that that i hope and i will work effortlessly no i mean with full effort sorry full effort uh and full dedication and passion as long as i can as long as i have breath to make that possibility that dream of mine and so many others where housing is a right where it is something that no longer we have to use the word insecurity when talking about it. Um, and, and so I, I only ask that we as a people, the marginalized community, the oppressed community, be the ones who finally, finally undertake the one thing that I know we can do if we simply put effort into it and it's being advocates for ourselves and supporting each other's advocacy instead of tearing each other down. Because like you said, CJ, so many times, when, when, I'm not, I'm not going to say if, because I have the dream when, the black and brown community really stands up and supports each other, stand in solidarity with each other. That is when we can bring the changes that we all so desperately need. 
times are going to continue working. I'm going to continue believing for you, for me, and for everyone else who has already lost hope. I'm going to keep that hope and I'm going to keep believing and working that we will get there. And we will. And, you know, again, I want to let everybody know, like, this is the younger one saying these things, right? As you noted, you know, I say it time and time again, the government gets real nervous when black and brown people come together and they organize together. We don't always have to agree, right? We're not always going to do that. We, we should stop stigmatizing ourselves. We should address it as we see it. Cut it the fuck out. And we should hold these people accountable. We should not be comfortable as we are because believe it or not, when you're comfortable with white people leading your movement, you're also comfortable with racism. I'm going to let you sit with that because we're going to talk about that more. And, you know, for our young soldiers like Manny, we need to do a better job of acknowledging their presence, their thoughts, and giving them room to not only progress, but for us to maybe, you know, face some facts about ourselves right? I know I have to. Sometimes I have to have a whole good old conversation with myself. Nobody ever said anybody was perfect. That's not a part of life. That's what you think it is. I think you need to go sit somewhere with that too. Well, you know, this is a conversation that will continue. Manny's going to be coming back again because, you know, we need to hear this. We need to hear this. And we actually, I would like for Manny to actually be part of another segment we'll have where we talk about what it's like, really what it's like being a black or brown young leader in this movement. Because I don't think people really understand, you know, the roadblocks to advocacy. Maybe we'll just call it that. I'll think about it. But that one's coming. And you're going to hear more from Manny. And I want you all to know, this is someone who has not only lived the experience, an educated young soul, and is dedicated to this cause. Could we stop making this type of conversation on call. Could you tell your friends, your family, the people around you, if someone like me or Manny show up or we start or we're just there, don't don't label us as oh they're politicking. Stop that. Stop being the bullies in the room. Believe in us sometimes. Don't wait till the white man says we have to take action to wake up and take action, okay? Take your power back. You are powerful. That's why I keep saying we are not the minority. We are the majority, okay? We're just marginalized. It's very expensive to be poor here. Well, I can't thank you all enough for your continued support, encouragement, and solidarity. It is greatly, greatly appreciated. That's all we have now. Fist up, smile.